0: I wanted to ask you a little bit because I've seen that you were a trade union lawyer before yes. um, being an MP. Um, did you do legal aid cases and and how different do you think your job would look now since the legal aid cuts? Well I didn't
1: do legal aid cases because I uh, worked for a law firm at uh, Thompson Solicitor did work uh, in the employment department in the employment tribunals for trade unions so all the trade union members didn't need legal aid because the collective pot of the union would support them to take their case but of course access to justice came into the equation when the conservative liberal democrat coalition introduced employment tribunal fees which saw a huge percentage drop of people bringing employment tribunal cases at the same time there wasn't sadly a huge drop in bosses treating people badly whether that be unfair dismissal discrimination breach of maternity rights um Race, um, discrimination on grounds of uh, race, religion um, or political belief. All of these cases and these instances were still occurring, mm. yet people were being priced out of um, taking uh, the, the matter forward yeah. and of course that ended up in the Uh, Supreme Court deciding on the 26th of July 2017 that those employment tribunal fees were an unlawful Uh barrier to access to justice so the same principles apply really in that the employment tribunal fees that were introduced in the area that I practiced in as a lawyer before becoming an MP were part and parcel Mm. of the government's attacks on access to justice for Mm. ordinary people and of course their changes to legal aid are all part of that too Mm
0: -hmm. and so the the employment tribunal fees were found to be um, unlawful and um, um, I think some of the arguments that the court used to decide that um, they were un- un- unlawful also applies to some of the arguments around legal aid and, and the means test and the financial eligibility test. Um, so, um, I mean, do you have does does Labour have any specific plans around the financial eligibility test of legal aid?
1: We'll be announcing. Further plans in due course. We have made announcements about returning things within the scope of legal aid already, yeah. which I think are exciting plans that have been well received, uh, both early legal advice in relation to family law, uh, also early legal advice in relation to housing law, which would benefit up to 50,000 households uh, a year. We've also um, announced that we would uh, introduce... Um, People being able to get legal assistance to prepare their case for judicial review, which you think is a very important part of holding the state uh, to account. And you can see this is becoming more and more prevalent with some of these environmental issues, uh, actually. Mm. Um, and as well, of course, this week, today, in fact, we made an announcement about uh, advice for people uh, who are wanting to appeal their decisions about their social security made by the Department of Work and Pensions.
0: Mm-hmm. So, you would be restoring early advice for people with benefits problems?
1: Yeah, for people who are, are wanting to appeal against uh, uh-huh. the decision of the Department uh-huh. of Work and Pension. I mean, if you look at it, a huge proportion of the decisions of the DWP are incorrect, mm. and some people are appealing them um, but not winning on the basis uh, that maybe they don't have that legal advice in the first place. Some people won't be appealing them because they don't get the legal advice mm, to, exactly. to appeal them. And of course, um, the majority of these cases are actually incorrectly decided, and you know, which is shown by once they go to the uh, the hearing. Mm. Uh, the majority of cases are lost by the DDP in these mm. uh, key areas. So we think this is um, really an important, uh, an, an important step. And any member of Parliament does advise sessions to the constituents will see that housing law or housing issues and benefits issues, for mm. me certainly, are the two main issues raised mm. in my advice session. So the logic flows from that, that people actually don't necessarily need an MP to help them with it. They're only coming they to an MP because they can't get uh, a lawyer. Yeah. So hopefully these policies will address that issue once we're in government.
0: So at, in your um, job as, as a constituency member, do you see lots of people, I mean, is a lot of your job, Take time taken up dealing with people with actually that have legal problems uh,
1: yes and people coming to see the member of parliament in desperation because they can't find uh, a lawyer mm. so they don't realize necessarily that uh, a member of parliament isn't the best place person to help them of course we help them in any way we can we do succeed in getting the DWP to think again sometimes sorting out housing cases but people come to see me uh, in tears uh, the decisions made by these assessors for the DWP when they're being assessed as doing things or being able to do things that mm. they clearly can't do and it does really break your heart so I'm pleased to announce this policy mm. today because it will help uh, those people. I mean ni- there's been a 99% cut as your recent video shows uh, in the number of people getting um, legal aid for these uh, benefits issues I and mean, mm. that's incredible.
0: Yeah. And and it's affecting the most vulnerable. Exactly.
1: Um, And we argue, by the way, that this is part and parcel of the conservative attacks on people. So at the same time as they introduce um, the botched universal credit system and the problems as being with huge human consequences in the rollout of that, at the same time, at the same time, they're actually tying people's hands behind their back when it comes to defending their rights, mm. defending their podi- uh, p- position and getting legal advice it can't, yeah. can't be right. Yeah
0: absolutely um, yeah there's, it's a cultural thing as well so I mean you were just talking about the DWP and it seems like there's a culture within the DWP of trying to withhold um, money to, um, that, that is, um, people are entitled to um, and I think there's something similar going on with the legal aid agency um, so um, I mean a lot of lawyers um, have have Found that the legal aid agency are um, no longer an arm's length organisation. They they purposefully want to withhold legal aid to people. I mean, really, they should be a service. They're a service provided. They're providing a service, but in reality, they are, um, you know, um, with- withholding legal aid unnecessarily. Like all, all this, lawyers' time is going into having to appeal and all of this stuff. And and I just wondered if Labour had any. Any ideas um, of how you would tackle like the cultural problems within, um, well, we could talk about um, the DWP, but also the legal agency?
1: In terms of the DWP, uh, I think the party announcement we've made today uh, actually will help to change the culture. And I know that uh, when um, Margaret Greenwood is the Secretary of State of the DWP, she'll certainly change the culture in a very positive way, and she'll be running the DWP in a totally different way. Uh, But we think that the policy we've announced today will also help to change the culture in the DWP, putting the onus uh, on them to get the decisions right in the first place. Mm. And I think that's very, very uh, important. And empowering people to fight back against incorrect decisions. Under a Labour government, of course, there'll be a lot less uh, incorrect decisions, a lot fewer incorrect decisions, because, uh, as you said, the uh, the culture will change.
0: How are you putting the onus on the DWP to get their decisions right in the new policy?
1: Well, the fact is that when um, legal aid is provided for the advice, it kind of puts uh, people on notice, doesn't it, that a Labour government is committed. It puts people in government, and by that I mean the people who work in the departments. It puts them on notice that we're committed to empowering people to fight back against incorrect decisions made by the state, even when Labour is in government. So I think that will change people's... Mindset. They'll be very aware that people will be making these appeals mm. having um, obtained legal advice under legal aid, having been able to obtain advice mm. under legal aid. So I think it it shows and sends a signal that we're not just... I mean, we're not in the practice of defending all decisions of the state, even whether they're incorrect. Mm. We're not, you know, we want to put uh, people first, really empower people to fight back against those incorrect decisions. Okay. And as for legal aid, you know... I think it is the case that um, legal aid has all too often become the forgotten pillar of the welfare state and just as access to health care uh, is a right of every citizen and doesn't depend upon the depth of your pocket, so in the same way access to justice should be treated in the same way a key tenant of our uh, democracy uh, really. Uh, and we want to return access to justice to being a central part of uh, every uh, citizen's right.
0: Mm. So, which areas specifically would you be um, restoring? Because I mean, so there's immigration. It was so legal aid was mm. removed by the Legal Aid mm. Sentencing and Punishment Offenders Act 2012. Um, it was various um, areas of scope. So, immigration was one of them. Is that um, something that Labour would restore?
1: We'll be uh, addressing uh, that issue of the situation that people uh, are being put in um, because of the inhumane, incorrect decisions of the. Home Office and I'm working with Dan Abbott at the moment as Shadow Home Secretary to work out the exact practicalities of the arrangement and the announcement but that is an issue we'll be addressing on top of the issues we've already um, given formal policy announcements on in relation to family law, Mm -hmm. housing law and welfare benefits law as well. Mm -hmm. And of of course uh, we've set out our plans for the future of law centres as well and our vision for the future of law centres which we think is linked because we want to see law centres as engines of empowerment for working-class communities and all their diversity, enabling people to uh, fight back Mm. against these unjust uh, decisions, whether it be single mothers fighting back against Mm. lousy landlords, exploited workers fighting back against bullying bosses, and yes, also, uh, migrants fighting back against these decisions of the Home Office, uh, and uh, people who are in receipt of Social Security, or who should be in receipt of Social Security, fighting back against some of these... Inhumane decisions of uh, the DWP and their uh, medical assessors.
0: Mm. So, um, so okay. So, can we just look at the areas of law? So, you've said you've committed to restoring. Um, is it just early advice, yes. or early advice for housing, for family, um, and for welfare benefits? Yes. Um, and
1: also judicial review. Uh, we've uh, committed to uh, allowing people to get uh, support to obtain the legal advice to prepare their case for judicial review.
0: Okay. But then what about, so let's take family law. So um, um, one of the big problems, as I'm sure you know, is that um, as a result of the lack of legal aid, there are lots of litigants in person in the, in the family courts and it's like a massive waste of court time, etc. If, if, if legal aid is just restored for early advice, what about representation? Well,
1: the, the, the answer we've made so far is on advice, but if you look at the back review into access for justice which labour commissioned that sets out really the direction of travel and the framework and we're wanting to build upon the announcements mm-hmm. we've already made but the announcements we've already made do relate to early legal advice mm-hmm. and also the government's last review now due by christmas or thereabouts they keep delaying it here you know, we're making what we think is a very reasonable demand on the government which is to return to all areas of law um Early legal advice being within the scope of legal aid. That's our demand on the government at uh, this time.
0: Mm. So restoring early legal advice for all of the areas they've taken out of scope. Yes. And what do you predict will be the outcome of the uh, review of the legal aid cuts due at the end of the year? Well, I
1: think it will be uh, disappointing. Uh, I mean, not to be a pessimist. I mean, I can't see the Conservatives going as far as we would uh, like. But that's why we've put forward what we consider a reasonable demand upon them at this stage. Obviously when we're in government we'll, review the, we'll view the whole access to justice issue in a different way. Working at the moment uh, with the law centres network to map out a concrete plan for an expanded network of law centres across the country. Because mm. I, I see law centres as key to delivering access uh, to justice and I do think that early legal intervention and early legal advice is perhaps the most crucial thing for enabling people to deal with these cases. And that also, by the way, helps people to deal with cases where they don't have a legal case or reasonable prospects of success. Some people need, I remember this from my time as a lawyer, need actual closure and to know that a specialist has listened to them and advised them on what their options are and what they think the likely outcome of litigation would be. And I think that will help people emotionally in all sorts mm-hmm. of ways as well.
0: As well as hopefully cutting costs in other, in other areas as well. I mean, what, what are your thoughts about the false economy of, of the lead aid cuts? Oh, it certainly
1: is a false economy. And the Citizens advice Bureau come out with very interesting figures about how every pound spent uh, on legal aid can save multiple pounds uh, for the states mm-hmm. elsewhere. And I think that uh, certainly is true um, because lots of these problems when not resolved early on then become the problem of the state, whether it be housing. And of course, when we're talking about the DWP, Uh, the amounts that the DWP spends on uh, preparing to defend cases that they then lose, defend these appeal cases they then Mm. uh, lose. I mean they spend 100 million pounds the state spends on these uh, welfare benefits tribunals alone and such a huge proportion of those cases, those appeals then results in the DWP and the state losing that case. So there is uh, a lot of false economy. You mentioned litigants in person as well. Lots of litigants in person end up in court because they've never had the benefit of a lawyer telling them, I know that the way you've been treated is bad, I know that it's not very nice, but on this technicality, you haven't got a case of reasonable prospects of success. So people kind of blunder in to these things, and before they know it, there's a court hearing round the corner, they feel it's too late to pull out, even though they don't have reasonable prospects. They sometimes end up end up getting court orders uh, for costs against them they then can't pay and all of these problems spiral out of Mm. control and ultimately the state has to step in to assist people in those kind of situations so it is indeed uh, a false economy so there's a moral argument for our approach but also as you suggest an economic argument as well
0: Mm. Do you think there should be some comprehensive research done around the false economy issue? So there isn't anything particularly comprehensive out there and I feel like it's an area that is glaring to
1: me. I think more more exposure um, and forensic research on the exact cost to the states mm. of uh, blocks to access to justice would be very welcome indeed. But as I say, the, the CAB figures are, are very useful because they, they are cl- clear mm. that uh, it's a false economy. But any more information about that would be uh, very well received and very useful for the debate, I'm sure.
0: Um so uh, one of the things that we have seen at Open Democracy um, is the way widespread injustice is produced by the legal aid cuts, but in in the context of another political issue. So, for example, um, uh, the hostile environment and the legal aid cuts um, produce windrush, mm. um, and the austerity measures and the legal aid co- cuts have produced massive um, injustice for, for most, the, the most vulnerable people in our society. Um, it seems like with um, um, Brexit coming, um, there's going to be an opportunity for this to happen again. What do you see um, as, as the main um, problems that might um, result, or, or the, the rights that people will be um, failing to, to enforce as a result of the legal aid cuts, and, and what could Labour do about that?
1: In relation to Brexit? Yeah, yeah. Well, as you say, the Windrush uh, scandal is an example of that. And there'll be lots of people who'll be worried about their uh, immigration rights, their rights of residency um, due to uh, Brexit. And if they can't get either legal reassurance or legal assistance, and they're going to be in a, in a bad position, aren't they? And even though there are, you know, various bureaucratic processes need to go through in order to establish everything's OK, these things can be very confusing for people. And especially when English may not be their first uh, language. And that's why um, access to justice is very, very important indeed. And I think what was interesting about the Windrush scandal was that you even had some of the right wing newspapers protesting on behalf uh, of the people who had been treated so badly at that time. And I thought that was a real sea change, really. And I think you got a lot of people think about immigration in a different way mm. because they actually saw case studies of oh there's a human being that's uh, rather like me that's been treated so badly, I understand why they're upset, I can picture myself in their shoes I think that has helped to change the whole debate on immigration uh, I've noticed that among uh, constituency people who traditionally might, yeah, you might expect to take a different view on immigration, were very much on the side yeah. uh, of those citizens who'd been treated so badly so in the same way I think that the scandal over the effects of the way that universal credit has been uh, rolled out. More and more people knowing people who have failed unjustly the medical capability assessments. Of course Labour would abolish. I think these things maybe will get people thinking differently about legal aid and access to justice Mm. because both politicians who want to maintain the status quo and journalists who've been content to peddle lazy arguments about fat-cat lawyers and the rest of it. It's actually what we're talking about, the people that most need legal uh, assistance. And so actually it is a working-class issue, actually it is a majoritarian issue. And it's those whose rights have been threatened or taken away by the last eight years of austerity that actually need legal assistance and advice most it's not some nebulous uh, argument for the privileged by any means whatsoever
0: mm. yeah well and um, you mentioned fact that lawyers I mean um, um, as I'm sure you know uh, the reality of legal aid um, lawyers is that they earn very little money sometimes um, and a lot of them are, have gradually been moving away from legal aid and um, legal work and to find other financially viable um, um, imp- um, you know, employment, um, and so one of the things that seems to be happening is that even where there is legal aid available, um, there's a lack of legal aid providers, um, and um, uh, and another problem that's coming off that is that um, a lot of the skills um, that that legal aid providers need, um, legal aid lawyers need, are being lost because as they leave the profession, they they can't pass. The, these very specific
1: skills are. That, that's completely correct, and that's the point I've been making in relation to our vision for the future law centres. And I've made the point that people think things have reached a rock bottom now. We haven't actually reached the nadir in reality because if you look at the age profile uh, of legal aid lawyers, social welfare lawyers, mm-hmm. it's basically a time bomb waiting to happen. And in between five, six and ten years we could actually see the virtual extinction of that very noble aspect, particularly noble aspects of the legal profession. And so when we're talking about expanded and further supported network of law centres, you know, we're looking at ways in which the state can fund extra training contracts uh, in law centres across the country. Uh, so, I mean, for example, for a relatively small amount of money, uh, you could have subject to capacity, you know, two training contracts in every law centre in the, in the country, uh, speaking hypothetically, and that could really train up the next generation of social welfare lawyers to enable the current lawyers to pass on that torch mm. uh, to that next generation. If we don't do that, then you're right. We could bring back all the legal aid we wanted, but if there are no lawyers to deliver that, then it's really just uh, an advance in theory rather than in uh, practice. And we also think that by using law centres... Um, to train up the next generation of social welfare lawyers we can actually um get more people into the legal profession from what are termed but shouldn't be non-traditional backgrounds as well mm. underrepresented groups
0: mm.
1: whether it be economically or in terms of black and minority ethnic lawyers or the rest of it
0: yeah so that would be through the law centre initiative yeah that's
1: that, that's something we are committed to do yeah um
0: so, um, back to Brexit, uh, just, just um, for a little bit. Um, I mean, uh, what do you see as being the main issue issues for justice um, arising from Brexit?
1: Well, the main issues for justice, uh, really, in terms of the political withdrawal agreements that the Prime Minister is uh, pursuing, um, there's a lack of certainty right across the board in relation to family law. And, of course, there are more and more people who during family breakdowns the issues of child custody or visitation rights actually extend to the uh, European mainland as well so the vagueness in relation to how we will work with our colleagues in, on mainland Europe in relation to family law uh, is concerning um, and of course workers rights actually because if you look at what the government has proposed in its political withdrawal framework it talks about non-regression On workers rights which might sound quite good but if you look into into detail you see that non-regression just means we won't regress from the current point so we could end up far behind the rest of Europe on workers rights as workers rights hopefully advance across uh, the rest of Europe but as well the non-regression principle as the government explains it means In totality, our workers' rights won't reduce. So our workers' rights could reduce, for example, in relation to uh, paid annual leave, in relation to maternity rights. But if the government could argue that's balanced up by better workers' rights in another area. They could argue that in totality workers' rights haven't regressed. And that troubles me as well, because it just seems that it's like a backdoor way to reducing workers' rights. So that particularly uh, concerns me as well. But the point you made earlier about people's uh, immigration status uh, as well, people are going to be very worried. And when they've seen what's happened with the Windrush citizens, they're going to be even more worried. And all the assurances under the sun won't... uh, Relieve people's worry. Given what they've seen happen previously, we were told, "Don't worry, nobody's been deported as a result of the um, Windrush scandal." It turned out they had.
0: Mm-hmm. So, um, so I mean, you've just laid out three areas mm. where there are likely to be huge um, problems around around people enforcing their rights um, after Brexit. And um, how do you think? I mean. In the context of your Labour's proposals um, for access to justice, how do you think that the system—I mean, assuming Labour is in government—how, like, those proposals are um, are definitely a step forward, but there could just be such a um, uh, a pressure on the legal aid system, an enormous pressure from all these different areas, you know, it just seems like Brexit's going to just cre-
1: create... Well, the, the, good, the good news is that if we have a Labour government, of course, we won't be having a regression in workers' rights and that we'd hope to be ahead of other European um, countries when it comes to uh, workers' rights. And similarly, we'd end the hostile environment and with Dan Abbott, as, uh, Shadow, as Dan Abbott as Home Secretary and, of course, Jeremy as Prime Minister, it'd be a totally different uh, environment... We'd have a you know a fair and reasonably managed migration policy uh, that isn't characterised by the hostile environment. So I don't think we can isolate mm. Brexit from sure. from other things. Um, I think we've got to look at what is the policy agenda. For example, our housing policy would also remove a lot of the abilities uh, of rogue landlords to get away with what they're getting away with. Our policy of uh, building a huge number of council houses and truly affordable homes would obviously uh, very much mitigate against a big issue that comes up of people in substandard private uh, accommodation, where they're having problems about the the quality uh, of the accommodation. So there are other ways we can address uh, these injustices as well.
0: Sure, but it does seem like Brexit is going to throw a lot of um, people into uncertainty and they're going to need lawyers to help them Navigate, navigate solutions, even where the wider policies are, mm. are more, more favourable, um, how do you think that the, the legal aid system will deal with, with that volume of, of need? I mean, uh, like, I suppose the question really comes down to money. I mean, do you, do you think that you're going to be able to put enough money into the legal aid system to be able to support that?
1: I mean, we think we think that a combination of our policies across the board, outside the Ministry of Justice, and uh, the importance we place upon law centres uh, and legal aid in the Ministry of Justice, uh, will be able to deal with this uh, issue. Um, that holistic approach, I think, will be able to deal with that issue. But you're right; it shows the importance of people being able to access uh, that legal advice. But, but I, I I do think that when it comes to issues... I mean, the most obvious issue is uh, people's migration status, isn't it, in terms of Brexit and them needing legal advice, and also uh, people's, um, people's ability to persuade their employer that there's nothing incorrect about them being able to work for that employer. And I think both of those things can be addressed by a combination of our change in terms of access to justice, but also by uh, policies that will be... Um, pursued by the Labour government uh, right across the board as well, whether it be in, in relation to immigration, whether it be in relation to workers' rights as well.
0: Okay. Um, one uh, question just arising from another question I asked earlier, and I don't feel we quite got to it, was about the legal aid agency. Um, like Do you feel that there's a problem um, About the le- with the legal aid agency as it currently is, and... What would Labour
1: do to change that? Well, I think it's an in- interesting point that you make. Um, you know, obviously we'd review how it operates. I think there's ways that it could be modernised. Uh, lots of practitioners complain about the, the forms, the nature of the forms. And lots of people who have to apply for legal aid complain about the intrusive nature of the forms as well mm-hmm. and asking for too much information, personal information that they're only having to divulge because through no fault of their own they've been put in a very... Difficult position, and so um, you know that is something that we'd be looking at as well.
0: Mm -hmm. And then one final question is: um, What future do you see for the European Convention on Human Rights?
1: Well, the European Convention of Human Rights is something that we're uh, committed to. We've um, put pressure on the Conservatives throughout uh, on this uh, area, and what I'd say, whatever the Conservatives do whilst in government. Uh, when we're in government we will certainly uh, adhere to our human rights obligations and if that means passing new legislation of course uh, we will if that means keeping the legislation we've got then obviously uh, we will but we realize that these things are under threat we realize that there are Tory ideologues who want to do away uh, with human rights so you know we've been talking about how it's important to stand up for human rights and actually make clear to people that human rights and the Human Rights Act and the European Convention of Human Rights isn't applicable just to what the newspapers say it's applicable to, which is these really strange and unusual particular cases. Actually, it's meant to be there to protect us all, and so that's something we're, we're very proud of. We're very proud that it's the Labour government that introduced the Human Rights Act, and so we're totally committed to human rights. Okay. is
0: there anything else you'd like to add?
1: No, I think that 's uh, about about it really, in terms of the the subject of access to justice uh, and legal aid. I think in terms of the next generation of lawyers and social welfare lawyers, I did mention obviously the the law centers as the kind of training ground for the next generation. but obviously working cross department, the fact that we 're going to abolish tuition fees also plays a significant role because I remember so many people who I went to law college with wanted to do social welfare law, uh, that was where their heart was. They ended up having to take training contracts at corporate law firms, not because they wanted to, but because that was the economic reality, because it was only the corporate law firms that could give them the financial support through their legal practice course, could give them a training contract, and given that they were saddled with so much debt, some of these things became economic uh, necessities, and there's few things more heartbreaking than seeing people have to dedicate their Working uh, lives to something they don't really believe in, so we can relieve, we can give people more choice, so so that people can actually choose what kind of law do want to do. Do want to do corporate law? Do want to do commercial law? Do want to do social law, welfare law, immigration law, or, or employment law? I think to give young aspiring professionals that choice is very very important. The Conservatives talk the language of choice. With their economic policy, actually removing choice from people. But the choice, the section of society they most remove choice from, actually the underrepresented uh, groups as well. There is one final point I want to make, if that's okay, uh, about people being aware of their rights. Because I've often made the point that people's rights, hard-won rights, aren't worth the paper they're written on if they can't get advice uh, on those rights. Uh, but also, if they're not aware of those rights... And so what we want to do in government is use the state, really, to push a big national political education program, not political education, a national legal education program to inform people of their rights. I mean, imagine uh, if instead of using the state's resources to send go-home vans around the estates to create a hostile environment for migrants or for people who people presume uh, are migrants. Imagine if... There's an advertising campaign supported by the government to tell people what is your right in relation to the national minimum wage, what's your right in relation to maternity leave, what is your right uh, in uh, relation to your rights against your uh, landlord, uh, what, what are your rights in relation to uh, all of these things, what are, your, what are your rights not to be discriminated against in the workplace or in shops or bars or restaurants or the rest of it or on public transport. All of these things, I think, could help to empower people. Because one, one of the things I learned from being a lawyer was that we all knew inside out people's employment rights. Uh, the trade union officials uh, knew employment rights very well and could inform their members of it. But for people who weren't in trade unions, they basically were having, and this includes my friends, that asked me about their situation in their workplace, and they didn't know that day in, day out, their employment rights were being flouted. And whilst ignorance is no excuse in the law, it may even be that their employers, especially the small ones, didn't know that we were breaching their employees' employment rights. And that's why public education. Uh, on people's legal rights are so important because we've got to ensure that these rights aren't just theoretical aspirations but actual realities Mm. for everyone in our society. So that's something I'd be very excited about doing. I think something very positive, something that for a relatively small amount of money the state can make a real difference in terms of empowering uh, people to assert their own rights against those whom, without these rights, would be far, far, far more powerful than they are on a day-to-day basis. So, well,
0: that's would like posters in, in housing?
1: That's, that, that's, that's yeah. one idea. Yeah. You know, online adverts, posters, bus stops, um, newspaper adverts, the rest of it, I'm sure we could go uh, even further. Uh, it could be on the back of people's payslips, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? To have people's employment rights on the back of the payslip they get every month. All, all these ideas are open in for schools? discussion.
0: Yeah, in schools as well, yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay, well thank you very much. No, no, thank you, my pleasure.